Hi, I'm Natalie Wires, along with Jason Nias from Digital River, an e-commerce company dedicated to helping brands go global and grow revenue. But this isn't about us. This is Commerce Connect, a podcast about people who are creating some of the best e-commerce experiences of our times. Listen on to hear from e-commerce visionaries as they look back on where they started, lessons they've learned that have gotten them to where they are today, and what they believe is the future of online shopping. This is Natalie from Digital River. Today, I am pleased to welcome Caleb Bryant to Commerce Connect. Caleb is Director of Demand at Gorilla Group, an award-winning commerce experience agency providing end-to-end solutions to help their customers navigate the digital economy. They have an impressive roster of clients, many of which I've purchased for myself. And I should add that Gorilla Group is a Wonderman Thompson company where Caleb oversees strategic alliances in North America. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Natalie. So Caleb, you've been with Gorilla Group for nearly 10 years and you're now part of Wonderman Thompson. Tell us about the synergies of these two companies together. Well, I got to say, being with Gorilla Group for 10 years, it has been quite a ride uh, ever since uh, when I would, when I joined there back in 20, uh, at the beginning, really of 2011, and in 2018, uh, we were acquired by Wonderman Thompson, uh, the commerce group. And over the, really the past two, two and a half years, uh, as a result of that acquisition, we really have seen, uh, I think, more opportunities blossom as a result of that acquisition, I think, greater than even what we initially expected. And that really is for a couple of reasons. As many people may know, uh, Wonderman and and, uh, and JWT, which have recently merged to become Wonderman Thompson, are traditional ad agencies in the space and have done phenomenal work uh, as it relates to the types of uh, the type of work that ad agencies typically do. You know, the problem, uh, however, is that a lot of their customers uh, really are. Seeing the opportunity, whether it's through uh, existing demand or it's through the onslaught of competitors, and are looking to their agencies of record to provide greater capabilities on how they, as brands, can better navigate the digital economy. And so, as a result of that, uh, many of the accounts within Wonderman Thompson are asking their account leads those questions, and as a result, are asking us. Gorilla Group, those you know, those the similar questions on how they can leverage digital to to better navigate the, the the experiences that they are developing for their customers across a variety of different silos in which they communicate. Yeah, having you know robust digital experiences as part of a, a any ad agency, I think, would be a major benefit. So, can you just tell us a bit more about Gorilla Group and? you know, what kind of customers you serve, the size of customers, verticals, just a bit of background. Sure. So Gorilla Group is an award-winning commerce experience agency. We really focus on uh, the commerce experience and everything in between uh, that goes with that, you know, ultimately that what what drives a transaction. So it could be the front-end experience where customers are interacting with the brand, It could be the insights generated in order to make better decisions on behalf of the brand in order to interact with those customers in a more meaningful way. It could be the different efforts related to personalization in order to get to know and then then personalize that experience for the customer, uh, as well as providing the right buying channels for the right customers at the right time. And that could be across B2B 
as well as B2C. And we work with a variety of industries within you know, that framework. And you know, there really is in no size fits all when it comes to commerce, which actually is interesting that I say that because we're going to be talking about something uh, that you know, might seem counterintuitive to that statement today. Um, but across B2B and B2C, all companies, while they do have common needs, a lot of them will have very unique needs, especially in the B2B space. And as a result of that, we help them solve a lot of the, those challenges in order to help them to better uh, connect with their customers in a digital way. I always love um, hearing from people who work in commerce in particular because, it, and, and on the agency side, right? Because it's so much technology, but then there's also a lot of creativity that needs to go along with it as well when you're thinking about customer experience in particular. So tell me a bit about your personal journey. How, you know, where did you start? What's your background? And sort of how did you build your career to what it is today? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I think, you know, you use the word creativity and, I, and my personal journey has been nothing but uh, creative because it has not taken a, uh, a very, you know, linear path as it relates to how I've gotten to where I've gotten. Um, you know, the, I think one quote that, you know, that I give my former COO at Gorilla Group, Justin Finnegan, uh, way back when when I first started at Gorilla Group, but it really does uh, represent probably my entire career. And he, he said, uh, the first thing that he told me, he said, Caleb, whatever you think your job is here, go do that. And for many people that probably would be, you know, a bit overwhelming, maybe a bit intimidating in some way, uh, not having the guardrails of like, okay, this is how I'm going to achieve success. This is how I'm going to, you know, make, you know, make a mark in the first 90 days. But when he said that, I actually felt very liberated and it gave me the opportunity to, to really ask myself the question, okay, how can I support this business, but also how can I support its customers? And so as a result of him uh, giving me the opportunity to think critically, you know, about my own career path uh, within Gorilla Group, that's really how I've gotten, you know, everywhere uh, within my career. And that is being willing to take on the responsibilities of a future role before I was given, you know, maybe that position or that title. And, you know, it's just, it's based out of my creative curiosity in order to want to learn something different. And then as a result, uh, take ownership over that new thing. And that really has driven my career from across the board, whether it's marketing research, uh, analytics, SEO, uh, you know, bits and pieces of marketing, project management, product management, uh, account management, business development, inside sales, sales, consulting, as well as uh, managing consulting, and ultimately, you know, leading me down the path of of managing our very strategic relationships with our software partners. So, where I love the creative curiosity, what what does that look like for you right now? What is where is your creative curiosity leading you, and and what are you focused on that you think is really gonna move the needle forward and in, in a big way? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. And, you know, I think that, you know, so my current role is director of demand and really that is bringing all the different pieces of what generates demand from a services perspective uh, into the organization and coming up with a common set of themes and common set of activities that cross marketing, 
you know, strategic alliances and outbound business development into, you know, a more cohesive message to the market and then also a more cohesive approach when interacting, you know, with various prospective clients, uh, ultimately to help them solve their problems. And I think, you know, what historically has led me from creative curiosity perspective to want to solve client problems is the same curiosity uh, that ultimately is, I think is helping me to take on this new challenge because we really are, um, you know, uh, looking to solve uh, our clients' needs in, you know, both very unique ways, but also, you know, very uh, sort of market driving macro uh, ways that, you know, that then we now get to, not only do we have to understand what the demand is in the market, but then also then identify where that demand is in the market. And hopefully those two things, you know, collide in the right way. And so I think, you know, that's the, that's both the challenge, but then also the opportunity that I'm, I'm super excited about right now. That's great. So, you know, as we, uh, a lot of the people we talk to on this podcast, obviously it, it comes up uh, time and again that we are in a time right now when we're seeing huge growth in digital commerce, we're seeing big advances in technology, and a lot of companies are wondering what should their next move be? Where should they, you know, how do they make sure that they're future-proofing their business? Um, so what are your customers looking for and what, what questions are your, your clients and your customers asking you? Yeah, I mean, I think in short, both across B2B as well as B2C, is they are looking for practical advice, right? So, you know, they, they don't have time to sit around and wait for big strategy decks that, you know, you would typically see from the large global consultancies. And not to say that they aren't useful, because they are, um, but especially in the, in the the time that we're in, in the market that we're in, in the types of, of demand that ultimately merchants are having to respond to from their customer base. They really are looking for practical advice that they can go take advantage of and execute today. Not you know six months from now after a digital roadmap has been created. They wanna be able to execute as quickly as they possibly can. So more specifically, you know what, what we uh, I think are seeing the most interest from is uh, is especially from our strategy group is developing practical uh, digital roadmaps that are executable like I said in weeks not months and then months not years and the way that we do that is very quickly identify you know where within the digital maturity sort of uh, um, uh, digital maturity curve each organization is and what what are the, the, the overarching roadblocks that might exist in order for their, you know, for their organization to be able to sort of move to the next threshold of digital maturity. And, and, and the way that we see digital maturity is, is sort of across a variety of different thresholds, but I'll, I'll, I'll sum it up into a few. The first really is, you know, is focused on commerce and everything within commerce. So it could be you know, basic product management, it could be core integrations as relates to third party middlewares to consolidate, you know, uh, your digital properties into, you know, more meaningful interactions. It could be the actual commerce platform. It could be, you know, the, the marketing autom automation and the personalization, the customer segmentation around that and how they communicate to their customers. 
but but getting very very specific within the the first threshold of commerce and then executing very quickly in order to get to what we define as the next threshold which is driving customer adoption uh, customer adoption ultimately whether again whether it's from a b2b or b2c perspective they might be for different reasons b2b in many cases it might be uh, not only net new customer acquisition it might be taking advantage of uh, uh, you know, pre-made products as opposed to made-to-order uh, scenarios, and scaling the you know the already made uh, part of the business as opposed to you know finding uh, unique made-to-order uh, scenarios in that you know in the B two B industry. Uh, for B two C, it might just be getting greater awareness uh, within your particular vertical, and then in addition to that, being able to identify reasons to bring those customers to continue to come back. And so within that driving customer adoption threshold, we're doing a lot of insights generation where we are, um, you know, really tagging as much as we possibly can within that experience to continue to then ingest that data into uh, the, their existing, either their uh, uh, you know, business intelligence tool or their customer data uh, platform or what have you. And then ultimately getting to the next threshold, which is test and optimize. So then from there, once we are generating a lot of those insights for our customers, we're working towards a, te- uh, a very succinct test and optimization strategy to ultimately get to a place of true personalization, which is then the next threshold. And in that personalization, again, from a B2B or B2C perspective, understanding the buyer's needs, understanding what, are, what the drivers are of those needs and what those need, how those needs mature or change based on the type of buyers. Uh, that we are tracking uh, uh, insights around. And then from there, as we, you know, as, as merchants uh, or organizations get towards a place of true personalization, really ultimately moving towards a place of digital leadership. And that's where you break down the silos across sales and marketing and customer service and operations and product manufacturing and get to a place where um, at least from a digital perspective, the customer is is really looked at as from a from a single perspective. Um, they under you know uh, the the customer has moved from a place of unknown to known, uh, and as a result of that, the business is making decisions based on customer needs as opposed to business needs. Which I'm curious, um, you know, as as you see clients and brands move along this, you know, path of more and more sophisticated digital presence. Is there a certain step that you think is the hardest to overcome or are there unique challenges within each one that, that the brands need to be willing to take on in order to make sure that they're going to be successful? There are. And the way that we sort of define this as well is if you, we look at it in, um, and, and sort of categorize it in three D's, defend, dis- differentiate, and disrupt. And quite frankly, a lot, of, you know, a lot of organizations want to be at a place of disruption for their market. They want to be market leaders. They want to be you know, vertical leaders. But in many cases, you know, uh, the, the best path towards, to, towards getting towards uh, digital maturity is to identify where you're at. And a lot, of com- a lot of companies are in the place of defending, especially in B2B, you know, when there are new market entrants, whether it be Amazon supply or it is, you know, it's a, um, uh, you, you know, a digital distributor like Granger 
uh, or or any sort of variant in between those those two things. You have a lot of regional players that you know the their moat was their their relationship between the sales rep and the customer, and their ability to be able to service the customer because they were in region. Well, a lot of those barriers are coming down, and as a result of that, they're having to defend those existing relationships in order for them not only to grow but also to maintain um, the relationships that they have. Uh, the the barriers to entry for for new suppliers uh, is you know is reducing every single day. You know uh, the the organizations that used to be distributors are now becoming white label manufacturers. Uh, the organizations that used to be manufacturers are now going direct to the customer. And so those lines between you know between manufacturing and distribution, at least on the B two B side, are blurring as a result of changes in customer demand. So um, so you know especially in 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 the B two B space, you know a lot of companies, specifically regional, you know maybe it's an auto parts manufacturer or it's you know it's a, a fluid power um, uh, a parts manufacturer or what have you. You know, you're getting into into situations where they are finding themselves defending against more market entrants than what they have had to do in the past, and as a result of that, are having to invest in digital to do that. Um, in those scenarios, it actually, you know, those are the ones where in, where there's the greatest opportunity there, uh, for risk, uh, and but also there's the sort of greatest uh, uh, risk associated to. Um, you know, to ignorance uh, as it relates to to understanding what you know the digital ecosystem can bring you, um, and so as a result of that, it really uh, um, it really means for for agencies like Gorilla Group that we have to have a very prescribed approach uh, in those scenarios for those sorts of organizations to be able to take advantage of, because they know that they need to invest in digital, but they just don't know how. And once they know how, and once they start investing in digital, then they start to move from different, from defend to differentiate. Uh, very few companies actually move towards that place of disruption, uh, but we find a lot of companies you know, that are have a desire to invest in digital, um, but don't necessarily have the 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 know how, or quite frankly, the wherewithal uh, to be able to do that in one big chunk and ultimately, you know, different not only defend but differentiate and sort of move past some of those uh, competitive entrants. Um, so as a result of that, you know, we need to have a prescribed approach. And I think that's why I'm most excited uh, this year to announce that we, as an organization, are launching what is called commerce as a product. And it fits right within, you know, that sort of market need, both for B2B as well as for B2C, uh, to be able to enable organizations to take advantage of digital, but do it in a way that they can consume, again, based on, on where, where they find themselves within the market, not just the, the market as a result of COVID, but the market as a result of, you know, those, you know, those uh, moats that uh, have held back competitors in the past, but, you know, are no longer holding them back uh, today. So uh, from what I understand of the commerce as a product, it's all about, and you touched on this earlier, of helping uh, companies get up and running with their commerce platform quickly. And you've, you, we've talked a lot about how speed is so important right now. So can you talk a bit about the approach 
that Gorilla is taking specifically related to helping a brand who maybe doesn't have a commerce platform but recognizes that they need to or it's going to get pretty dire, maybe already is a little bit dire, uh, and how your approach um, helps them get a commerce platform up and running? Absolutely. And, and the, what I'll start out with is, you know, what commerce as a product is not, um, in addition to maybe helping to answer why we, you know, why we're putting out this initiative now. So, uh, you know, in, in the past, the way that, that agencies such as ours have attempted to respond to this need, because it's, you know, the need is, has been growing over the past five years, and that is, how do I accelerate my digital maturity? How do I do it as fast as I possibly can? How do I, uh, you know, not belabor my organization with, with you know, additional technical debt? Um, how do I take advantage of, of, you know, new market opportunities, but take advantage of them quickly and not have to go through sort of belabored, um, you know, exhaustive implementations as well? And so the market has been sort of telling both software providers as well as uh, service providers that you need to give us solutions and give us solutions faster than what you've done before and help me consume them much faster than I've, I've been able to consume them before. And so, you know, agencies such as ours, historically the, the response has been, okay, well, we'll develop an accelerator for this particular, you know, platform. And, you know, while that's that answered part of the need, it didn't it, it did not holistically answer all of the need because an accelerator by nature, all that it really is doing is it is sort of flattening the foundation of what it takes to enable uh, a particular piece of technology. But it doesn't answer the rest of the implementation needs. Um, that might come as a result of, of those particular uh, uh, organizations' needs as a result of, you know, getting to know that, that organization more. So then that, that's, that sort of need gets stuffed into uh, the standard um, discovery and, and estimation and implementation approach. And so it doesn't really solve the, the, ex, the acceleration demand that is out there. All it does is it's really flattening the foundation. What commerce as a product uh, does is it is a, a pre-packaged, pre-developed uh, piece of intellectual property that rapidly deploys in conjunction with leading, you know, commerce platforms, uh, PIM platforms, other you know, uh, experience-based platforms uh, within a flexible customer experience, uh, all based on IP that Gorilla Group has developed. Um, that gives our teams the flexibility to be able to respond quickly to the customer's unique needs, but do it in a, in a prescribed way that still enables them to be able to take advantage of, you know, of, of software innovations and, you know, gets them to be able to take advantage of them quickly, uh, gets them to be able to uh, stay within, you know, their, their, their desired total cost of ownership and really start to, again, test the new channel, uh, scale it for adoption, uh, you know, optimize it to get towards personalization and ultimately to get to that, that place of digital leadership. So commerce as a product, we believe, is holistically different from what you know, the, the answers to the market have been in the past. It's an emphasis on agility, an emphasis on flexibility. Uh, really think of it more, and this is what helps 
people like myself, think of it as it relates to clicks, not code. Think of it from a configuration perspective as opposed to customization. The heavy lifting in many cases is already done. We've built uh, that IP on top of core commerce platforms to make them more powerful at launch, but then we've also developed a customer experience framework that is flexible enough to be able to uh, to be able to consume the brand's specific needs and to be able to consume the business's specific needs and then give uh, that business an opportunity to scale at their own pace and allow the technology and allow you know the the service offering around it or the solution offering around it to be able to scale at the speed of their business as opposed to the speed of implementation. What type of businesses is this is this best suited for? It, does it work for mid-sized companies as well as enterprise? Yeah, that's a great question. So it is it is not a it does not replace um, the sort of very tailored uh, experiences that some brands will continue to need as a result of you know the the relationships that they have developed with their customers that need to be you know highly experiential and highly, you know, highly personalized upfront. Um, but what it, it does support is the part of the market that needs to scale and needs to scale fast. And so whether that is, you know, direct to consumer scenarios where, you know, I have, uh, you know, maybe it could be an incubator brand from a, you know, a big sort of CPG holding company, uh, or it could be a new brand that has, you know, that has, has generated uh, some lift from a revenue perspective and look really looking to scale that, this is a great fit for them. It could also be a great fit for, like I said, that, you know, the B2B organization, maybe they've, they've grown through acquisition over the past 10, 20 years, and they've got five or six or seven different brands within their stable, and they don't really know how to take those brands uh, into the digital economy. This is a great solution for them too. Um, because like I said, it gives us not only the flexibility to be able to respond to the customer's needs, but it also gives us the flexibility to be able to tailor them towards whether it's a B2B scenario or, to, or a B2C scenario in order to, um, you know, to make those the right decisions on behalf of the customer. So it fits within, like I said, the uh, sort of the divisional uh, line in business for B2B, but it could also fit within that, you know, scale fast sort of scenario for a direct consumer. Yeah, that's great. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to ask one more sort of high level trend driven question. And then we've got a few kind of fun, more rapid fire stuff that we'll finish off with. But sure. um, I would be remiss to not bring up the pandemic and how that has really you know, pushed e-commerce forward uh, years. And, you know, people have been sheltering at home and buying online for things that they never thought that they would be buying online. Uh, you know, things even as big as, you know, home purchases and cars and, you know, obviously grocery and all the, you know, home office equipment and stuff as a given. Um, but what do you see in the future of how business is tracked, transacted and how we buy and sell goods online? Well, so I would say that, you know, um, one thing that we have seen uh, over the past year now, I've, I've, and I, I'm, 
I'm going to do a, a bit of, bit of reminiscing here as I answer this because my wife and I just had two twin boys in uh, January of last year, a January 5th. So they just had their one year birthday. What a first year for them. I know. I know. And it's been a blessing because we've both been home and been able to see them grow. But at the same time, we're like, this, this whole sort of whirlwind of, a, of an experience that we've all had has been a year. It's been a year long. And I think over that past year, uh, one thing that we that that will come out of it that we'll see is that um, in person and virtual will have uh, predefined swim lanes. And so, you know, I think in the past there were scenarios where uh, where organizations maybe had a bit of flexibility to say, well, maybe I can interact with the customer, you know, in an in-person way you know, as long as I possibly can, right? It, that whole Peter Thiel concept of zero to one, you know, they're trending more towards getting to one and generating efficiency within the, the relationship as opposed to, you know, truly innovating on the, on the zero side. Um, and, but I think what we're going to see is there's going to be a very clear delineation of um, swim lanes between in-person and virtual. And then I think, you know, um, in addition to that, every sales channel will be impacted or influenced by digital. So there, you know, the, the relationship that I mentioned before between the sales rep and the customer, that relationship is going to be impacted by digital, whether they want to or not, because, you know, the, the sales rep can't go into, you know, the, can't go onto the manufacturing floor anymore. The sales rep maybe won't have as, as, as great of flexibility as they could to navigate around their, their region um, than what they could before. Same thing is true for, for B2C companies. Um, the, you know, the, the, the retail locations, we, we've seen this, gosh, it seems like every single day where, you know, uh, a retailer, you know, is either going bankrupt or is, is having to, you know, shut down hundreds of locations it's, you know, it's for the over-indexed retailer that, you know, is having to, you know, now really reevaluate how they, you know, not only how they grow, but how they stay alive, that they will have to leverage digital in order to continue to meet the demands of the customer, even when the customer is able to get back into uh, an in-person retail scenario. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, so one of my personal favorite parts of our Commerce Connect podcast is we ask our guests to share some of their experiences, starting with who influences you. And it can be somebody in the industry, somebody not in the industry. So I would say the, the first, um, you know, the first person that came to mind um, when thinking about this question was a book that sort of put me on the path towards, um, you know, towards greater personal accountability. And that was the biography of Steve Jobs. And he was, you know, he was a sort of crazy character that, uh, you know, not a lot of people got along with, but he all, I mean, he changed the world. And, um, but you really got to see into the mind's eye of, you know, of a genius through reading his biography. And I think one of the you know, the most pervasive things that, you know, that came out of reading that biography was one thing in particular, no matter how eccentric, um, you know, his ideas were, no matter uh, if there was, you know, if the market was telling him that, that he was on track or not, and he had a, a lot of on, you know, not on track ideas, 
um, the one thing that, you know, that remained true for him was that he always believed in himself. And, you know, uh, as a personal inspiration, I think everyone needs to find a, a reason to believe in themselves. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, it's the people around you that believe in you first until you can start to believe in your own capabilities. Um, but I think that, you know, that in particular was, was an inspiration, just how much he believed in himself, even when, you know, even when he, he lost a billion dollars, even when the market, um, you know, kicked him out of his own company. Right. And then secondly is especially related to the e-commerce industry. It's all of the entrepreneurs that are out there, um, coming up with new ideas, uh, having, you know, writing new code, putting together those ideas into products, bringing them to market and doing it in, in ways that, you know, are seemingly siloed, but, you know, really have an opportunity to have breakout moments within the market. You know, the entrepreneurs that are behind, you know, those, those potentially breakout products, I think from a day-to-day -day perspective are, are really, really, you know, inspiring and exciting to, to watch because um, they don't, you know, they just don't quit. I love that. Yes, we are definitely lucky to work in this space and there's so much opportunity to learn from others, which leads to my next question. Are there other podcasts or blogs or newsletters that you, um, that you subscribe to or listen to regularly that you would recommend? Yeah. And, uh, and my wife would be shocked if I didn't say this because a lot of my quotes that I quote back to her, um, and you know, a lot of my time spent, if I'm working out or whatever, I'm listening to, uh, the Jocko podcast and it's by Jocko Willink, who, who is an ex Navy SEAL and, uh, now runs his own company. He, uh, he runs a uh, origin name, uh, that they do, you know, jujitsu apparel. They also do, uh, supplements, um, and, uh, you know, a variety of, of other things uh, that they're doing on the, out in the market. But, you know, his podcast is is one of the things that I listen to quite religiously every single day. And, you know, the reason for that is because one, he brings on, you know, if you ever feel sorry for yourself, um, you know, go, go listen to a Jocko podcast because he brings on, uh, you know, whether they be war heroes or people that have done amazing feats that have gone through, you know, scenarios that, uh, that, you know, the average human would not be able to get through. And he has, you know, he has those, those people and he's interviewing them on his podcast. And it just, it, it helps you to remember, you know, that w whatever it is that you're going through is small in comparison to what other people in the world have gone through and still have, you know, a rosy disposition on life. And I think as, and you know, everybody needs a reminder of, of their, of their reason to, to be optimistic about their part of their you know, sort of life contribution or contribution to the human race. And I think Jocko's podcast does, you know, you, you have to, it's, it's a, it's an acquired taste and, uh, and those that, that like it, love it. Um, but you know, if you're, you're looking for a reason to uh, be reminded of, uh, you know, of just sort of letting the excuses of life roll off of you and, and find a reason to, to get after it, that's a great podcast to listen to. I have not heard of that one. So I'm rarely stumped on this. I'm going to check it out. Uh, and finally, uh, can you tell us about a recent buying experience and, um, you know, one that you thought was really great and what did you like about it and why? Sure. So, um, 
as we all know, traveling is difficult, especially during during uh, the pandemic, and especially difficult uh, traveling with children. And so we finally decided that we're going to take a vacation with all three of our kids. And, um, and so one year old twins. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a feat in and of itself. And I'm, <laughs> I'm actually shocked that we still made it both there and back again. I feel like it's a uh, Lord of the Rings um, book that I have to write, but the, you know, so we had to get a whole bunch of like new, new travel gear to be able to support efficiently just like getting all three kids through the airport and and uh you know and traveling with them and so as a result of that we were looking for you know for some new travel bags that were um maybe a bit more efficient than uh than some of the the ones that we we've, we've been using for our business travel and so we were looking for these like specific um you know uh uh duffel bags that, that are easy to carry and easy to pack and um we sort of realized that we needed them late in, into the planning process. And so I was looking on, you know, looking on the, the, the company website and I was, uh, which happened to be North face. And I was looking then I was like, okay, maybe Amazon will have it cause they can get it here in two days and Amazon couldn't do it. And then, um, and then I, I, you know, it was like, okay, there's gotta be a buy in line, uh, buy online, pick up curbside or pick up in person scenario that I can take advantage of. Um, you know, and so there, maybe there's a, there's some local inventory available. Well, sure enough, uh, REI, uh, you know, a great retailer, uh, Seattle based, uh, which happens to, you know, be a Wonderman Thompson client as well. Um, you know, they had the exact products that, that I was looking for and they also had the inventory available for the local store, uh, accessible and viewable online. And I was able to make the purchase and they also gave me a, you know, a time for um, an estimated time for pickup, uh, you know, even before I placed the purchase. And as a result of, you know, sort of the, the need and then uh, the searching and then the availability of the product uh, in a meaningful way, the stars aligned and obviously I purchased from, uh, from REI. But I thought, man, what a great example of a retailer that really has leveraged digital and done it in such a meaningful way, leveraging their existing retail footprint to be able to move local inventory and still get it to the right customers in the right time. And I, you know, I had those things in, in less than 24 hours later. And I thought that that was a great example of, uh, you know, of a retailer that's, that's leveraging digital in the right way. That's awesome. Well, Caleb, it has been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on our podcast. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Commerce Connect, brought to you by Digital River and edited at Matriarch Digital Media in Minneapolis, Minnesota. To learn more, head to digitalriver.com.